And welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles. And we have a very special guest this evening joining us. We have Dr. Michael Foley from Drinking with the Saints. Uh, he is a guy that I've been wanting to get on for a while. We actually highlighted his book, Drinking with the Saints, it, within the first 10 episodes, Dave. Yeah, it was back in the day. It was, it was a long time ago, uh, like two years ago, I guess. Yeah. But we highlighted his book. Um, well, when you put it that way, back in the day doesn't sound that... As, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. It, it seems a lot longer than that. It does. <laughs> it probably does to the listener as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dr. Michael Foley, thank you so much for uh, being with us this evening. Thanks so much. It's great to be on. Yeah, so uh, you just started a new book. You just uh, released a new book, which is uh, appropriate for the uh, liturgical season that we are in currently. It is Drinking with St. Nick, with St. Nick's uh, feast day being last week. Uh, It's the Christmas cocktails for sinners and saints. Um, The success of Drinking with the Saints, I'm I'm assuming, probably led into into this uh, book as well. Give us a little bit of a backstory on, on, on drinking with this, with St. Nick. Well, what you said is exactly right, that this is the sequel to drinking with the saints. Uh, drinking with the saints pairs beer, wine, and cocktail suggestions with the feast days of the church year. And even so, we only were able to cover about every other day of the year. We couldn't do the entire year because the book already was 450 pages. So what we did with Drinking with St. Nick is we expanded that section. And so St. Nick has drinking suggestions for every day of the Advent and Christmas seasons. So basically from December 1st right through about mid-January and then a couple of straggler feasts after that is covered. So we're actually pulling a drink this evening. The first thing we do on the Catholic Man Show is we open, review, and enjoy a man beverage. Uh, the second thing we do is we highlight a man gear. And the third thing we do is we have a manly discussion. And we pulled the drink this evening from your book, uh, Drinking with St. Nick. We actually pulled it for, uh, when, we're, when we're recording this, this would be the day after the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. This is the drink that you suggested for uh, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, and we had these ingredients, and we thought, you can never go wrong with our mother. Yes. With with, with celebrating our, our mother. So, Dave, I'll let you introduce the drink, and okay. we can go from there. Okay, so what we're drinking is called a Kaiparina. Is that correct? Is that how you pronounce it? That is correct. Okay, good. Yes. Yes. 20 points for you. All right. <laughs> Starting off right here. On- <laughs> okay, so uh, this is the... So, in the book... You give uh, a little bit, you know, you talk about the feast day or you talk about a little background about the saint and then uh, a little background about the drink and then you give the instructions, everything that you would really want from from this book. And so this is apparently, I learned this this evening, the national drink of Brazil. And one of the things that it calls for is something that I happened to have by Our Lady's intervention or something, which is called Cachaça. Is that is that how you is that how you pronounce it as well? That is how it's pronounced. Yes. Okay. Good. So cachaça is a Brazilian rum. It's made with sugar cane, which is different from other rums. So when you drink it, you know when you have Adam, you know like when you eat 
if, if you ever use sugar cane, it kind of has its own unique. Yes, it's very different uh, flavor. Right? So you you pick that up in the in the cachaça. It's not. You can find it. It's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. You have to. You maybe have to ask at the liquor store that you go to if they have any and where it is. Because which brand or or uh, uh, distillery would you recommend, Doctor Foley? You know, it's it's as if what David was saying that it really does depend on where you are. Uh, I only have one brand that I can choose from in my local liquor store. Frankly, I can't even remember what its name is. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I guess yeah, asking. I don't, I don't remember what, what it was. Just like you, Dr. Foley, I, I think they had two. One of them was really <laughs> one of them was really cheap, so I didn't buy that one. Because <laughs> just like any liquor, if you get the cheap one, it's not going to be good. Right. Um, and actually, you make a, a comment in here that uh, a higher quality cachaça is preferred for this for this mm-hmm. cocktail which uh so, so tell, 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 tell them what the cocktail consists of okay so it is um half a lime uh sugar and cachaça so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty That's easy it. yeah so you muddle the sugar with the lime juice uh you okay. use a, a low ball glass uh, uh an old-fashioned glass fill it with crushed ice pour in the cachaça and stir and this is what it looks like right here. Well, you you want to put it in front of the beverage cam? Yeah, I can do that. I can do that we for can, sure. We uh, can just switch right over there for just a second. So it kind of looks like a margarita. Yeah. When you and anything that's got this much lime in it, I think is also gonna have a margarita flavor to it. Um, what are, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, I imagine writing this book, you got to know a lot of these drinks really well. Uh, do you have any good stories about? <laughs> about this one well uh it's funny you should mention this one because this was one of the ones i was really grateful for discovering a priest friend of mine actually said that this was his favorite cocktail of all was the hyperenia and i'd never heard of it before researching this book really stretched my horizons and gave me new things to enjoy the reason why you want the high-end cachaça, by the way, is that with most most cocktails, they're designed to mask the inferiority of the ingredients used. That's why they were very popular during Prohibition. Hmm. But a cachaça, ah. as you mentioned, it's just, it's just lime and sugar, so nothing's getting masked. It's only getting enhanced. That's why you were very wise not to go with the, uh, the low-end cachaça. Ah, well, also... I've had low end cachaça before. <laughs> it was a learning experience. <laughs> it's almost, you know, like you drink a low end whiskey and you can kind of tell, oh, that's still whiskey. The, the time that I had a cheap cachaça, I didn't know what it was and I just didn't want any more of it. So I, I kind of learned my lesson before uh, do- I got started. Dr. Foley, I, I want to ask you that this is a, a, I was really excited to have you on because part of our show, every, every week, we, Again, we highlight a drink. You know, we, 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 we drink something on air. And it's interesting whenever we tell people, when we, we, we tell people about the Catholic Mancha, we say, hey, we drink on air. We get two different reactions. We get one that's either that's typically like, that's awesome. I want to, uh, I want to be a part of this. Or it's kind of almost like, like a shocked, yeah. uh, almost scandalized, uh, you know, reaction, which I, I, I don't like when they do that. But I mean, that's just the case. 
Have you ever mm-hmm. experienced that writing your you know with your book, you know, drinking with the saints that people kind of give you feedback of like, why should you be drinking with the saints? Oh, absolutely. The overwhelming response has been positive. Right. And that's true not of my Catholic friends, but of my non-Catholic friends as well. I actually teach at Baylor University, which is the world's oldest and largest Baptist university. And it's a dry campus. But none of my Baptist colleagues have ever refused a drink that I've offered them. But um, <laughs> I do get feedback from uh, from Catholics who are angry and saying that I'm trying to glorify the consumption of alcohol. I had one guy uh, email me this very angry email. So I wrote back to him and I said, well, just out of curiosity, where in the book do you think I'm actually glorifying alcohol? And he wrote back saying, well, I haven't actually looked at the book. I just looked at the cover. <laughs> So he did his research. Yeah, he did, he did some good research. That actually has been about the level of criticism that I have received. That if you actually see what's inside the book, I'm not glorifying any kind of drunkenness. I'm trying to provide a framework for Catholic merriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that you know, if you're when you're going to drink. Take your time selecting the right drink for the occasion. You know, it's not just let's drink for drinking. You know, it's like, no, there's this is very purposeful. You've, you know, you've put thought. It, the person who's using your book, you know, they're taking their time. Uh, also, what I really appreciate about the recipes in here is that uh, you have to have a bar. Um, you know, a, a, not a lot of people have. Uh, Cointreau or Grand Marnier or, you know, some of the things that you need, but you're, you didn't skip out on those, those recipes. Yeah. Which I appreciate because if you're going to do it, you should do it right. And it's worth having those things. Um, it's a hospitality thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You never know what somebody might say. If someone comes over, Oh, what's your favorite drink? If you have, you know, you get a bottle of Cointreau, that's going to last you for a long time. Bottle of triple sec, uh, or bitters, you know, all, all those things. So once you have them, it's not like it's, uh, you, you know... There's a little bit of an upfront cost, but after that, you're fine. You're, but you're, you should be good. being able to offer your guests right. or have the right drink on the right occasion. Uh, like today, uh, you mentioned one of the things you said about cachaça, which we'll have to talk about on the other side of the break, which mm-hmm. is fine, because the man gear is, is going to be this book. book. So right. we, we can keep talking about this. Uh which we will, right when we come back. This is the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan. We're joined by Dr. Michael Foley, author of Drinking with St. Nick. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We are joined by Dr. Michael Foley. We are drinking a Kai. I am totally blanking. Dr. Foley, what are we drinking? <laughs> Kaiperinha. 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 
Kaiperinia. Yeah, Kaiperinia. Look, see the thing. There's the. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Kaiperinia. I said. I said Kaiperina earlier. Yeah, that was my mistake. Um, right before the break, I wanted to get to this because we were talking about cachaça, which is this drink. It's lemon juice, cachaça, which is a Brazilian rum, and sugar with ice. And you mentioned how you want to have a good cachaça because in this drink, it's actually, you know, most, well, I don't know most, but a lot of cocktails, they're designed to hide the low quality of the liquor, but in this one, it's actually designed to enhance it. And you, this drink you have in the book for the eighth, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the Immaculate Conception, which is... I just, that right there, there's, I don't know if you did this on purpose. I'm suspecting that you did because the Immaculate Conception, you know, Our Lady, that's what she does. She magnifies the Lord. Okay. And so that's exactly what's happening in this drink. We have something that's enhancing the liquor, not covering it up. You see, I don't Uh, know if you did this. You did it on purpose. uh, I can tell. I'm looking at you. You did it on purpose. I would like to be able to claim that I did do it on purpose. But Go ahead and just do it. I didn't commit a sin, then I'm, I'm going to have to be honest with you. No, that's a great tie-in. I like it. Uh, it's divine it providence. Yeah. Divine providence, exactly. So, yeah. okay, so the man gear for today is this book, Drinking mm-hmm. with St. Nick. As we mentioned, this is the sequel. It's the Advent sequel to the larger book, Drinking with the Saints. Um, so if you are one of those... I mean, I know that you are. You're listening to our show. You have. Se- I know that you have seen uh, the Scotch Advent calendars. Mm-hmm. They have wine Advent calendars. This is like the Catholic ver. This is that's kind of like what this is. Every day, there's one or two cocktails for you to choose from, uh, and you get to make it yourself. And it doesn't cost fifteen hundred dollars like some of the. Yeah, the, some the, of those are have you seen very that, expensive. The, you know, the advent the calendar that comes with. Uh, have you seen these, Dr. Foley? Oh, yeah. And I like them. It's a, it's a fun idea. It, it's very presentable, but it's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the variety is often limited, and the quantity is often limited. It's usually yeah. just this tiny little bottle. It, it's, it's, a, it's a gimmick, but it's not a full-fledged cocktail. And so what we do in chapter one of the book is give you a wet calendar for Advent right. that will take you through all the days of December. Yeah, I'm not Jeff Bezos, okay? Right. <laughs> so I can't afford the uh, $1,500 Advent calendar. I don't have that kind of... I don't have the Funds. Of, yeah, exactly. So but one thing I, I'm curious about, Dr. Foley, is I was reading through the book... And on page one starts the, you have a preface, you know, you, you certainly set the scene for, you know, the drinking and the drinks and everything. But the first page, actually, you start off on Gaudete Sunday. Is that, is that correct? Turn to page one. Is there a reason? I think I, uh, Go I, ahead. I, think I start on the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, first Sunday of Advent. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would. Gaudete there. Yeah. It's certainly in there. Never mind. Yeah. I was looking at this earlier and I was really trying to, I was trying to find a good drink for this evening and yes, I was, I was not, uh, yes, uh, making well, good notes. I suppose. Uh, (laughs) Something Dr. Foley that I do love about this though, is that, uh, we try to promote 
being able to establish traditions within the family uh, here on the Catholic Command Show. Some people don't know how to even start traditions. One of the things that you're able to do in this book that I really enjoy is the the, the 12 days of Christmas, which is obviously correlates with our, our Catholic faith. Talk a little bit about uh, the drinks you recommend on the 12 days of Christmas. So you're right. These traditions are very important. And one of the big surprises that I had in researching the book was discovering how much better our ancestors celebrated the Advent and Christmas seasons. And a big part of this is these so-called 12 days of Christmas. It's 12 days of unbroken merriment from December 25th until January 5th, the, the vigil of the Epiphany. And during those 12 days, in the old days, in the Middle Ages, our ancestors would just take those days off There'd be no shopping, all the courts were closed, all the hard work was done, even the livestock got the day off. And you would just be with friends and family and make merry. And so we've got actually two different chapters in the book that will help you with drink suggestions for those 12 days. Yeah, and something, you know, we kind of talked about this uh, the last segment, but there's something about like inviting people over to your house making sure that they're comfortable, making sure that they feel at home, offering them a drink, maybe even a drink that they're not, uh, it would be a special occasion drink for them. They wouldn't grab it out of their refrigerator uh, normally. It's like a special occasion drink. And, and, and sitting down with with friends without cell phones, without TV on, without the radio on, without everything else on, and just having a... a a nice conversation. Don't do you feel like that the opportunity to to make a drink for another person cultivates this idea of being able to sit down and have a natural conversation with somebody? Something, uh, an art that maybe has been lost, unfortunately, recently. Oh, I think so. That the idea of getting together with friends and having drinks is a very important one. Um. Yeah. Pouring a beer or wine for a friend is every bit as festive. But I really do like the way you phrased that about making a drink for someone, making it in front of them so they see the sort of art that goes into it, the presentation. There is something special about making a drink for a friend. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, whenever you go to uh, Shogun's or, or the the hibachi grill, you know, and you see the uh, the guy chopping up all this stuff and all the uh, fire that's going on with it, with it, and you see them all doing it. It's like this art. It's this craft of getting it all put together, and then it, it presents it to you. It, it's just – it adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. The ambiance, I guess, of the evening. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Dr. Foley, you, you this book has one of the marks – of a good book, according to my own personal list. There are, there are many, many marks that could make a book good. One of them is, you quote, does the book quote Joseph Pieper? Okay? Which you, which you do. In the very beginning, you, you're talking about cel celebrations, making sure that they are religious in nature. And if they're not, the consequences and... We talk a little bit about that and why it's important that our celebrations be divine, divinely inspired. 
You're right. So I quote Joseph Keeper at the very beginning of the book, because I argue that one of the ways to drink like a saint is to drink with ritual. And that ritual should be grounded in a religious celebration. When you don't ground your celebrations in a religious event, it can be very sort of contrived or forced or artificial. And that was Peeper's point. So I, and I agree with him. So we Catholics have much reason to rejoice that, that great quote from Pope Benedict that you mentioned earlier. We're on the winning team. Let's raise a glass. And so to remember the uh, mystery of the saints, the mysteries of our faith, and raise a glass to that makes festivity all, not even all the more important, but actually makes it possible. Yes, exactly. And what, what really struck me about this part in your book is that if you don't have if it's not religious, and if it becomes totally secular, then it, it ends up becoming a contrived ritual, which becomes a form of obnoxious work. You know, you're having, you know, you're having to just instead of being what it should be, a leisure. You know, everybody, you know, Joseph Pieper and leisure. He's the man when it comes to leisure. That's what a good drink should be. It should be this, you know, great moment of leisure. Hmm. And instead, without God at its Source, you're forcing something. It's just like a force yeah. that, like, I have to make a drink. I don't like. I don't even want to do it, but I have to do it. I don't even know why, you know. And now all of a sudden, it's just making you work again, which just is so ironic. And it's just so it just struck me as very beautiful and very true. Yeah, the other sort of test you can always give yourself about whether a, a holiday or an occasion is a really great event or not is try thinking of greeting someone with the word Merry. So when you say, for example, Merry Christmas, you're not just wishing that they will have a fun time. It's almost as if you're invoking a blessing on someone when you say Merry Christmas. Huh. There's something sacred about merriment. But notice it's only religious holy days that you would even think of associating with merriment. No one ever is ever going to say "Merry Administrative Professionals Day." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, so Dr. Foley, we only have a couple of minutes left. Tell us, you, it's not just mixed drinks you have in here. I just want to throw this out. You also have beer and wine suggestions, but then there's this last call section. Tell us about the last call. We have a call-out called Last Call that gives final practical tips for celebrating. And often that is the section where I will mention a toast for the occasion, because I really do believe in the importance of toasting as part of the event. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here with Dr. Michael Foley, author of Drinking with St. Nick and also Drinking with the Saints. You can pick that up at any Amazon 
or go to Amazon to pick that up or any Barnes and Noble. That, I was going to say Barnes and any Barnes and Noble and Amazon, but pick I pick that up at any any, a- any Amazon <laughs> Amazon approved computer or mobile device. Uh, also, you can go to drinkingwiththesaints.com to get uh, really cool different measurement glasses, aprons, all different types of paraphernalia that he has available. Yeah. Drinkingwiththesaints.com is where you want to go. You know what's funny is Amazon is going back into physical stores. Yeah, they are. Irony. Yes. I only bring that up because it's ironic. <laughs> uh, doc, uh, Dr. Michael Foley, I want, I want to ask you a question because in, in this book, we, we, we do this almost every episode. We give a toast. Um, many episodes, not almost every, but many, many epi- okay. when someone sends us a drink, you know, when somebody sends us a drink, we try to toast them before we, we, we try the, try the drink because we feel like that's the, um, polite thing, appropriate yeah. thing to do. The, we e- felt like etic- it's a man, a man should be able to give a toast even on the, on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a skill that it, I think we think is lost in society where, you know, you, you stand up and you give you give public praise to another man f- for the virtue that he possesses. Um, and so it's something that we try to do, even though we might not be very good at it. So anyway. Right. Yeah. So my, my question was to you, what makes a good toast good? And what should you be? If you get put on the spot, I got put on the spot and I should have been prepared, but I wasn't. My grandmother's 80th uh, birthday was this year and she had champagne, and, and all of a sudden, we I realized, uh oh, we're about to give we're about to give a toast, and I'm the mm. oldest grandson, and so obviously I'm the first one that has to go. I was not prepared at first for that. If if you were me, like, what advice would you give as a guy who what make okay? So what makes a, a good toast good? And then if you get put on the spot, what should what what's your go to? I think I can answer both those questions with one answer, and it is Jesus. <laughs> it's um, you know the uh, the opening prayer that is used in the mass that changes every day. It's it's called either the opening prayer or the collect. Yes. That mm-hmm. actually forms a really good basis for not only good prayer, but good toasting. Because when you think about it, there really is not that much of a difference between praying and toasting. You're, you're both describing something and making some kind of wish or invocation. And mm-hmm. so, the, and as a matter of fact, toasting originally was a form of prayer, like the Greek libation that they would they pour out a portion of their drink to the gods. So the two are related. And if you look at the collects in our Roman mass, they follow kind of a cool structure. And it's usually something like, Oh God, who does X, Y, and Z, um, help us do A, B, and C. And something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can actually incorporate that into any kind of toast. So you mentioned your, your grandma's uh, birthday. You could start with description. Uh, you don't have to say, oh, grandma, who does X, Y, and Z, but you could say, grandma's a person who's been with me and did this and this and this and this. And so to grandma, who's always there for us, may, you know, and then you come up with some nice sentiment. Mm-hmm. May, you, may we be there for you as you were there for us or something like that. Okay, so the toast, so you're actually wanting to 
Because we were talking about this with uh, Father Nesbitt, right? The difference between an actual toast and a praise. Is that correct? No, we were talking about a cheers. Oh, cheers. And a toast. And he okay. was saying how it's like, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to toast Jesus. To toast Jesus. Well, he was discussing it. But th- I, I think this is unrelated. But he was saying, okay. you know, like, the, he was talking about our slogan. Right. Cheers you know, to che- Jesus. Che- which is cheers to Jesus. And he was saying, well, I don't know if that makes sense to toast Jesus. Because in a toast, you're, you know, essentially wishing something, you know, like, good health right. and you know you're like praying for someone and yeah. jesus has everything and then i pointed out well we're not really toasting jesus we're cheersing to jesus which is more of a celebration of <laughs> yeah you know it's like when you you know you say like to jesus you know that's a cheers yeah. so yeah that's, that's oh, I agree. and i actually and i i i hope not to anger father nesbitt but i would say it is okay to toast to jesus because don't we often say, and this is in the scriptures, blessings to our God, uh, or we bless you, God, benedictamus domino. Well, God already has everything. How are we blessing him? I have always wondered so, this. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I think there's, there's, there's a mystery involved in there, that, but it's, it's not something that I, I guess the danger is don't take things too narrowly. Well, God already has all the blessings in the world, so we're not going to echo the scripture and say, we bless the Lord. Let's just yeah. go with it. Yeah. And yeah. if you can bless the Lord, you can toast to Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I like the logic. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, I like it also. Yeah. So, okay. So, let me ask you this. So, uh, you talk about the real Saint Nick. Obviously, the the whole book is you know, drinking with Saint Nick. I love this story of uh, the idea that Saint Nick came to the council. Arian was there. He heard. You know, a- Arian uh, was obviously spouting heresy, and Saint Nick get, gets uh, heretic. Yeah, Saint Nick gets so upset that he he goes ahead and and punches Arian. Now. I've, we've talked to Dr. St- uh, uh, Steve Weidenkopf, who's a historian. He says that there's no credible evidence that that actually happened. Um, what are your thoughts? Have you have you looked into this at all? I have. And, uh, of course, I, I, the person you mentioned, the historian, um, he, he's right that the first accounts were written only seven, <clears throat> excuse me, several hundred years after the death of St. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. So, in likelihood, this was sort of a medieval legend. On the but, other hand, in 2004, they did a forensic study of the skull of St. Nicholas, which we have in the Cathedral of Bari, Italy, and they discovered that it was the skull of an elderly man from the 4th century and that the nose had been set and reset several times, which is consistent with that of a professional boxer. <laughs> I mean, why let truth get in the way of a good story? Exactly. <laughs> Sounds like this. We're drinking. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like this story might be true. Uh, so what? What? What gave you the? Uh, you know, Saint Nick is on uh, his feast day is obviously before actually Christmas. I mean, it's in December. But what? What made you decide Saint Nick? Um, I think that Saint Nick sometimes. 
because he's so early in in December, his feast day is so early in December, we forget that that it's actually in early December. With you know, you should put your shoes out. We did that. We put our shoes out. Did you? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Doctor Foley, why don't you set up? Here's how you can sell, start a tradition within the family of celebrating the feast day of Saint Nick. Oh, well, it's just what David was saying. It's a very easy one. According to tradition, you leave, or the children leave, their shoes out, uh, maybe near the fireplace on the vigil of the feast. So the night of December 5th, they leave the shoes out, and St. Nicholas is supposed to put coins in their shoes. What we do, and what a lot of other folks do, is put in uh, those chocolate gold coins, mm-hmm. those little bags. So just one, one bag for each pair of shoes. That's exactly what my kids got. That's what we got. Yeah, I did. I just, That's I just thought it was candy and stuff. But there was literally chocolate coins in my kids' shoes. That's what. That's what we. Either put. my wife is really smart, or this is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. I will tell you though, there was nothing in my shoes. Well, that is not surprising. What the age limit is? It's not surprising that you that you didn't get anything. I'm just saying I have shoes all over the house. <laughs> Okay, he could have picked any of those shoes. Yeah, yeah you can ask my wife. My shoe, I have shoes everywhere. <laughs> this year, my kids thought they could outsmart Saint Nicholas, and they put all of their shoes out by the fireplace. <laughs> Did, didn't didn't cut it, did it? It didn't work. I, yeah. I told him wasn't going to. I knew the mind of the. <laughs> it's like all right. St. Nick, he always puts at least a quarter in each pair of shoes. So I went to Goodwill, and I got I got shoes for a dime. Okay, so we're arbitraging 15 cents a shoe here. This is a good deal. <laughs> uh, so uh, let me ask you this really fast. We have uh, uh, just a couple minutes left, Dr. Foley, before we hit the break. The importance of developing a tradition within your family, especially for your kids. You have you have quite six. Is it six children? Is that correct? That's right, six kids. Six, okay, so congratulations. The, the importance of developing a, a Catholic Catholic traditions within your family for your kids. Absolutely. The good news is, if you're unfamiliar with it, you don't need to do everything at once. You just start out slowly and have these things sort of organically build up. Things can grow with your family. Um, It doesn't have to be sort of all at once. And so you just find things that work and just kind of, you know, tweak them over the years. Yeah, I like, I like, especially, you know, another reason why I like drinking with the saints is because it incorporates uh, the the, the calendar. It's liturgical. It's a liturgical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, bringing the liturgy... And the calendar home, you know, the domestic church so that you start to live, right? Which we've talked about, especially recently. Yes. Okay. So when we get back, we're going to continue talking with Dr. Michael Foley, author of Drinking with Saint Nick and Drinking with the Saints. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. All right. Excellent.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We are joined by Dr. Michael Foley, aka Mike, author of Drinking with the Saints and Drinking with Saint Nick, our man gear for today. Available at any Amazon.com. Uh, at any, any at any of the Amazon websites <laughs> that you're that you're familiar with. Whatever your favorite Amazon website is. That's the one you should go to. Yeah, and make sure when you when you go to Amazon to buy his book, make sure that you do it at the you know, you can go on Amazon and you do it so that it gives money to charity. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah. The web links. It's uh but you can do the web links. But there's like something dot Amazon dot com. It's uh yeah. Mile. To- what is it? Mile. Miles or smiles. Smile. Smile. Yes. Smile.amazon.com. You have to have already picked out a charity. I give to Go Life Mobile Medical. That's oh, that's a good one. That's what mine is. Anyway. Uh, Go Life. Yeah. So go there. Dr. Mike, I want to hit you with a tough question. This is very. Uh, I understand that this question depends you know like sometimes you have to you ask a question and the answer is well it depends and i understand that this is hardcore one of those questions but since you have received a doctorate in drinking i presume that's what your doctorate is since that's what your books are about that's not true i'm just kidding but anyway you have six children so you also have some experience my question is about children at what age do you think it is appropriate for your children to start having a drink in the home, in the right setting, at all? Good question. It depends. Yep. <laughs> um, I actually, I can speak with for my own family that on special occasions, especially w- with things like Christmas, we will have wine at the table. And for the smaller children, the wine is cut with water so that the younger they are, the more the wine is cut. Mm. But I do want them to get into the idea of associating wine with food and merriment so that they don't associate wine or alcohol with the kind of college culture, the the frat frat boy culture that teaches very opposite lessons in how to drink well. I want them, um, let me put it to you this way. The world's, the group with the world's lowest rate of alcoholism is Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews have less than 0.5% alcoholism rates. In the United States, the average rate uh, is 5.5% for Americans. Wow. The reason why Orthodox Jews have such a low rate of alcoholism is not because they suppress wine, but on the contrary, it's because wine is always on the table. And so an Orthodox Jew grows up, he does not think of wine or alcohol as a form of rebellion. He thinks of it as a normal part of daily life, and therefore he doesn't abuse it. And I, and that's the kind of model I think we should be having as Catholics as well. This goes directly with the beginning of, like when we first started the show, we talked about uh, wanting to drink on air and the reason why one of the reasons why other than we just enjoyed drinking uh, in moderation but it's one thing to talk about moderation but it's another thing to exemplify moderation there's very few occasions in this culture that exemplifies the virtue of moderation that gives yeah, you examples yeah. of like this is what moderation looks like you can have a glass of 
of a mixed drink and be and have a great conversation and and that's the end you don't have to drink 18 glasses you know uh, or you don't have to be completely abstained from it uh all all together i mean there's there's this idea of uh practicing this virtue and and not just talking about it i think with kids especially you have to uh, that that goes into the whole fatherhood, right? Is you as a father that you can talk about praying to your kids all the time, but until that your kids see you on your knees praying, yeah. Until they see you leading your family in prayer, leading yeah. the rosary or leading the night prayer, you know, then they realize, oh, this is something that we should do, and this is how we should do it. Right. Until they wake up, come out of their room, and there you are praying. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have that that memory. You know, I've heard just so many priests, especially I've heard especially priests talk about having a memory of going in and seeing their dad on their knees praying, as if like this is a almost a common denominator among the priesthood. I know it's not, but mm-hmm. uh, but it also gets back to uh, you know, there's a reason why we don't feature Bud Light on the show. Um, mm-hmm. And now, maybe there's a person out there who they say, yes, I've tried all the beer in the world, Bud Light's my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, and for that guy, then that's what he should be drinking. Right. I suppose, in theory, <laughs> that's a possibility. Okay, but once again, back to, Mike, what you're doing in your book, you know, you don't have, uh, you have the right recipes. You know, this isn't just the easy, you know, shortcut recipe. No. If you're going to have this drink, here's the one you should have. And so I just appreciate it. I know this is kind of, we talked about this, but yeah. Yeah, and that was the idea of the book, is just to give you sort of ideas. But I agree with you that whatever you choose to drink, you should drink mindfully. That is to say, if, if this is the point you're trying to make, David, like if you're just drinking Bud Light because you just want to get buzzed, or it, you're not really tasting it you're just sort of guzzling it to have a certain kind of effect well that's that's not healthy drinking right but if you're actually sort of present to the drink appreciative of its qualities of taste then you're slowing down you're drinking it moderately you're engaged in conversation with your friends it's a healthier experience dr what uh, would you expound on the so we, we've talked before on the show about the the virtue of temperance and how they're sub virtues which before dave and i are right when dave and i started this show it blew our mind that we realized there are sub virtues we didn't realize that was a thing um and when we That's did it was true. like that that is awesome i did not realize sub virtues were a thing so uh the virtue of temperance the sub virtue of temperance is moderation um can you expound on that or or correct me if i'm wrong you're right. And uh, obviously, moderation is the thing you want to have when drinking. It's the thing that keeps it moral. I mean, one of the things that a lot of our Protestant brethren don't understand is the difference between drunkenness and moderation. That the Bible condemns drunkenness, but it does not condemn drinking in moderation. On the contrary, it treats it as a normal part of a healthy life. And that's why it gets incorporated into some of the most important rituals in both Judaism and Christianity. You've got the Passover meal, wedding of Cana, and of course the Last Supper. So, um, so yeah, moderation is is the morally responsible thing to do. I would also add 
that it is also the most pleasant thing to do, that the Epicureans were a philosophical group that believed that bodily pleasure was the highest good, that there was no life after death. And uh, so they were, you would think that they'd be very hedonistic as a result. On the contrary, the Epicureans were renowned for their moderation because they were smart enough to realize that to maximize your physical pleasure, you need to eat and drink moderately. It is when you eat and drink to excess that you start to get diminishing returns on your investment. Ah, absolutely. Ah, yeah. I also would have, which is like, I would have suspected that, yes, they would have been. Yeah, that's a very Catholic thing, right? There's no feast without the fast. You know, you you can't enjoy the the good without, uh, you know, having that that fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the truths about Catholicism that I think, uh, subliminally, your book brings up is that the truths of Catholicism are not only true spiritually, but physically. That if you, Mm -hmm. you know, if you Mm -hmm. want to have the physical pleasure, then you should adhere to these, what are viewed maybe as spiritual principles, but they have a physical consequence of maximizing that pleasure as well even i mean you look at sex you look at sex take sex for example you know uh they've done study after study after study that uh people with the best sex life are married couples who are chaste and you know devout and practice chastity in their relationship that's exactly right And, and it does make sense you know seek ye first the kingdom of god and all else will be added unto you and there's absolutely nothing wrong with our cap, our, with us as Catholics desiring the physical pleasure of you know marital intimacy or a, a good drink, the key thing is to subordinate it to a higher spiritual good. Which is why we do it with the saints, or with ah, Saint Nick, yes, yeah. <laughs> or with Saint Nick. I, Doctor Mike, I think you're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you this: uh, We typically enjoy a nice scotch we, 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 uh, with our Glencairn glasses, um, or maybe a, a bourbon during the summertime. What would be your go-to drink? If 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 good question. If you had a, 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 a group coming over to your house, what what's your go-to drink? Well, I, I definitely love scotch, and I was envying uh, David's shirt there about Lafroy. That's I think perhaps my favorite of all. Um, I knew yes. you'd be. Yeah, I, I knew that yeah. you would fit in well here. On <laughs> we promote the Lafroy. We, we we promote Lafroy quite a bit it is, here. It is our. It's definitely our favorite. Here. Keep going. Go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. I love what you're doing yeah. so far. Keep Go going. <laughs> and uh, I'm here in Waco, Texas, and we have Balcones Distilling, which is now a world famous. So they're great too. Dr. Michael Foley, I'm so grateful for your time this evening. Uh, Please, everybody, go pick up Drinking with St. Nick. You can get it on Amazon or Drinking with the Saints for all year round. Or check it out at your local Catholic book and gift store. Yes. As well. See if they've got it. Yes. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.